Well, good morning again. You guys have a good week. Get enough turkey. No? Need more? Okay. Um, it is of great value to gather together as the body of Christ. You know, it's fun, right? You know, those that place their faith in Christ are set apart. They're made new creations. And then we get this. We in Christ are part of a new family. A family that loves, a family that lives life together. We in Christ Jesus are called to this. Now please turn your Bibles with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And Paul starts in verse 17 stating this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, whom through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us to a message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on the behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him, right? God made Christ to be sin who knew no sin so that in him, right, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. See, in Christ, we are, we are made new. We are justified. And now we are on a journey with the Lord through this life. Towards this goal. Righteousness. Something we, in and of ourselves, do not have. But I love Paul's statement. But all of this is from God. Who made a way through Christ Jesus he took our sins, and if we trust him, we have righteousness placed upon us in relation to Christ. The big word of the day is imputation, if you want to write that one down and memorize that too. There'll be a test afterwards, right? No? <laughs> Say, no, there weren't enough big words in Sunday school. Let's stop right there. Right? <laughs> Now, this is the love of God towards the whole world. He offers us choice. And with that choice comes either sin or salvation. Throughout our study of Psalm 91, we have seen that God is a God of promises. God is a God of refuge. He has sent his Messiah as promised to destroy sin and death. And the victory is won. Now we wait upon the day of the Lord, the day that Christ returns, and we await our hope. And we point others to him, just like John the Baptist pointed his disciples to Jesus and stated this, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins 
sin of the world. Let's start in a word of prayer before we go to Scripture. Father God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this time that we can transition from a day of thanksgiving, a season of pumpkin spice and everything nice. But Lord, that now we can be about celebrating that in the darkness the light came, the true light, that if men receive him, they can be born of God and they can be created new and chiseled more and more each day into the likeness of your Son and the paths of righteousness. Thank you for this time, Lord, as we can look into your word and that we can aim to know you more, be equipped and encouraged by your word, be pierced through and, and convicted about things, Lord, and that we can also aim to please you in this life, that we can be a workmanship no matter where we're working, what we're doing, how much laundry there is to fold, we have this constant hope and expectation that in these circumstances, I can be like Jesus. I can seek to aim to please Jesus. I can seek to be your servant, Lord. And to be a humble example to others and point them to you. Be with us in this time of study and rid us of all the distractions, of all the things that went on this last week and all the things coming and everything that needs to be done even today. That we could spend some time in your word today. Thank you for this opportunity, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, please turn your Bibles with me to Psalm, Psalm 91. This has like been on a long road trip, right? Are we there yet? Are we done? Nope, not yet. One more. <laughs> Just a couple more miles. <laughs> but it is a good, a good portion of scripture. We'll be in Psalm 91, verses 14 through 16. The psalmist states this. Because he holds fast to me in love... I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. This points us right back to verse 1. <clears throat> verse 1 states, He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Now, if we accept a relationship, we will become known and we will come to know them, right? Whether we're dating someone, hanging out with someone, courting someone, or whether we've been married and joined for several years. We come to be known and come to know a friend, a spouse, a co-worker, and family little by little. The fun thing, though, is that people change over time, right? 
we grow up, we change jobs, good or bad events happen to us all. That's life. Life is complicated. But the awesome thing is this, is that when you're getting to know God, he doesn't change. James states it like this, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. See, we can hold to the promises of God and to the character of God and to the word of God because he is unchanging and unchanged. The author of Hebrews states it like this, Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. We can see from this verse and many other passages throughout the Bible that the God of Israel does not change. And that all people are offered salvation through Christ, Jew and Gentile alike. Paul states it like this in Romans, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. But Christ is also a stumbling block to them. And actually hear this in uh, Paul's writings in 1 Corinthians. He states this, we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews. This is interesting, even as you see it in the Gospels. And you can actually see it as you study the prophecies, too, is that they viewed the mountain or the day of the Lord as one and the same. It's this event where the Messiah would come, he would set up the kingdom of God, he would rule and reign, and he would kill all of the Gentiles. He'd take care of the problems that they had seen since the Maccabees and even before the Maccabees came about. So since the Babylonians, sorry, Assyrians as well. For a long time, they've had a couple problems throughout their history. And that Messiah was going to come and form and frame a kingdom and deal with all those things. But as we see throughout the Gospels is that Jesus came first and foremost with this. He brought salvation. He brought salvation. He came to deal with sin and death at the first Mount Calvary, the place of the skull. His second coming will be the day, right? Where his feet will step upon another mountain, Mount Olive, and will split in two, actually. It would be so cool. I was actually listening to a sermon the other day, and it's like, it's funny, we don't even see Mount Olive. But all the pictures we see of Jerusalem are from Mount Olive. So that's like where he's going to come down and it'll be an awesome day. He'll step upon Mount Olive once more, and Israel will see whom they have pierced, and they will be reawakened during the Great Tribulation which is also called the time of distress of Jacob. And we can see that the mission of the Messiah throughout this text of Scripture wasn't just about the kingdom to come for Israel, though it, it will come one day, but for salvation for the whole world through a Jewish Messiah. The Lord states this through the prophet Isaiah. It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to rise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you as a light of the nations that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. 
This sounds like almost quoting like Acts 1 8, right? Like, the plan all along, right? <laughs> Isaiah, or sorry, not Isaiah, but Israel was chosen out of the nations to bless the nations of the world. You can even see that from the call of Abram, who would become Abraham. Through him, all the families of the earth will be blessed. They were handed a covenant that is unconditional that the Lord will do this in order to bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And we as the church, as the body of Christ, as the bride, do this. We should note first off that we don't, we don't replace Israel, right? We're not a nation with a covenant. No, we are a people in Christ set apart to be workmanships of Christ. We are to proclaim him. The psalm brings us to the amazing truth of having redemption and a relationship with God through Christ. Paul asks a great question about being known and knowing God. He states this in the book of Galatians, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? It's a great question within the whole of the book of Galatians. If we know God, and yet, better yet, right, are known by God, then why do we turn to worthless things? It's a great question. For those in Christ Jesus are blessed, and therefore we should have our hope and stay in Christ Jesus. Not in traditions or creeds or other causes, but in Christ. So much of the church is led into this error or this strangeness because we lose the sight of the authority of Scripture, the context of Scripture, and the original intent of Scripture. And we seek not to please traditions or creeds, but the Lord in our study. Not to knock all traditions and creeds, right? But the rule is that more than most of them stand in error or even stand against Scripture. You know, people have made mistakes throughout the history, so will we. <laughs> but we can learn. We can learn from each other. You know, we need to first and foremost see the love of God for all people and to share this amazing truth with what will come to be. Now please turn in your psalm, sorry, not psalms, turn in your Bible with me to Revelation Revelation chapter 2, chapter 22, actually. Revelation 22, verses uh, 3 through 5. John writes this. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him, and they will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. And the night will be no more, and there will be no need of light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. You know, as we talked about the millennial reign of Christ, 
yesterday, not yesterday, but <laughs> last Sunday, we saw, we see that even after the millennial reign of Christ, that the new heavens and the new earth will come and that those that are in Christ Jesus will see God face to face and they will dwell with him forever. The psalmist states this in verse 14 of 90 of Psalm 91, because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. Now that's a beautiful verse and it brings some really good questions. Now, do we love God? That's the question. Because if we love other things and other people and if we love this world, then we find ourselves missing out on the most important thing, which is God. If we place him first and foremost, then the other things, it's not like we cut them off, right? We cut them off to serve God? No. They fall into place. It's the order of things. We serve God first. <clears throat> and then we live upon others. You know, the only cutting off part comes when family or the state or other entities tell us not to preach Christ, to not tell the truth of darkness. Then we listen to our Redeemer and our friend. Our relationship with Christ is greater than everything else, and therefore it doesn't lessen our relationships, our other relationships, but highlights, highlights or heightens those things that we should have good relationships. For our relationship in and with God gives us hope in all circumstances, right? And it gives us this awesome goal that no matter what we do, we have this awesome goal of being a workmanship no matter what. Flipping burgers, doing laundry, vacuuming, living life. We have this awesome goal to be his workmanship. That affects how we do our hobbies, how we work, how we live life with our family and friends, and how we relate to the rest of the world and even the state, right? The psalmist goes on in verses 15 and 16 in Psalm 91 and states this, When he calls to me, I will answer him, and I will be with him in trouble, and I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. <coughs> it's a beautiful way to end the psalm, right? If we love God and if we dwell in his shadow, we will be blessed beyond measure in resting in Christ and responding to the gospel of grace by accepting it. We receive this amazing message of reconciliation. Paul sums it up like this. And we know that those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And when we accept the truth of who Christ is, and what he has done for you and for me and for the entirety of the world, we are made new. 
and we are set on this new path, a path according to his purpose, by his foreknowledge of God, well, of, him, of himself, right? <laughs> he sets this in front of us. Not to work out a way of salvation, as we talked about in Sunday school, but to be a workmanship because we already have it. And this is the awesome part of this path, is that in the end it is about being conformed into the image of his son. That is for the whomsoever that is related to the head, related to Christ. They are a part of the body of Christ. They are part of the church. And now all the saints come together. And they can be about this. Paul states it very well in Romans 14, 8. It says, if we, for if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Now, kind of give us a perspective of how that man found peace in a prison because he had perspective. There's the three Ps, right? You know, got a whole. <laughs> find peace in the prison because you have perspective. You have perspective that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. And no matter what our circumstances, we can give glory to him. We can aim to please him that about being about this isn't just about ourselves and our own things and our own work and our own hobbies. No, it's about being about the good work set before us for the glory of God, our Father in heaven. Now, this is the amazing blessing in Christ Jesus that we have two things. We have hope and we have work. We have hope and we have goals. We have these things set before us that as we wait for the return of Christ, we are also about serving him. From Job to Jonah, we can see that God hears us when we cry, right? And even Jeremiah, throwing a couple more, right? And he answers. God answers us. We also see that servants of the Lord are honored. Jesus states this, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. For if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And the Lord also says this, for anyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Right, we kind of talked about this when we were at the first part. It's like, you know, no one likes living in anybody's shadow, right? But living in the shadow of the Lord is humbling and uplifting. It's like, what? How does that work, right? Well, humility brings about exaltation. We are honored by serving a humble king who came for us because we get to be with him and dwell with him through this life and the next those who humble themselves before God will be exalted. Those who dwell with the Most High will be a display of his grace and mercy and righteousness. We display it because we point to Christ. Now please turn your Bibles with me to Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 1.
Ephesians chapter 1, verses 19 through 23. Paul writes this. What is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places? far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he will put all things under his feet and give him as head over all things to the church, which is his body and the fullness of him who fills all and all. You know, as we saw in the book of Colossians in Christ Jesus the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in, right? And we who abide in Christ will see his power towards us. That through the life, death, and resurrection of Christ Jesus, we who abide and dwell with God by resting in the finished work of Christ Jesus are made righteous. Right? That's what that verse in, in 2 Corinthians 5.21 is all about, that we are given righteous. It's put into our bank account. Because our bank account was negative, right? But our bank account wasn't just zeroed out, but also overcome and blessed with grace and righteousness imputed to us. I guess that is the word of the day, right? It's placed upon us. Right? Jesus was a ransom given for the many that whomsoever believes would have that added to their bank account or placed upon their bank account. Now we are made righteous and we are able to walk with God just as they did in the garden in this life and the next. This is the amazing statement of the gospel is that it's offered to all to be accepted as a free gift. Jesus puts it like this, the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys the field, right? I think the awesome parallel that I've seen in the gospel of Mark is the rich man comes to Jesus and says, all these things I've done, what shall I do to inherit salvation? He has all these things, right? Jesus looks at him, knows exactly his problem and says, sell everything and follow me. Man goes away sorrowful. Yet a man, a few chapters later, with nothing, cries out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And he flings off the only thing he owns, his cloak. It's probably the only thing he actually owned in life. And ran to Jesus as a blind man. It's amazing. No. This treasure spoken of Proclaimed throughout the world is our sins are forgiven in Jesus. But many go this way or that way for they deem it too easy or too hard or just not what they want in life. That ain't for me, man. Don't you just hate hearing that? It's like, no, it is, right? It is for you. It's for all of us he came for. But it's great joy for those who seek this treasure, who lose their lives for this treasure. And it is a great joy for Jesus 
is our only hope in this life. Because in him, redemption is found. And in trusting Christ, we have this awesome thing given to us, long life. I like how the psalmist puts it like that. And even if we die, even if we die, we will one day be satisfied. And even if we are hungry now, we will one day be full. And one day, we who all wait upon him will see our salvation coming. The Apostle John states it like this, Beloved, we are God's children now, right? It's guaranteed. We are sealed with the Spirit. We've believed upon Jesus. We are justified. And what we will be has not yet appeared. But it's coming. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, right? Instantaneously transformed in the twinkling of an eye. And why? And John states this, because we shall see him as he is. We'll finally reach that goal, that sanctification, you know, chiseling and getting it right. We'll never get it right. But once we're glorified, it'll be that quick. Can't be quick right now, please. <laughs> yeah, it'd be so much easier. But on that day, believers will be transformed. We will be glorified. We'll no longer have to deal with the sin we conceive inside of ourselves. And we will become like Christ instantaneously. We will no longer have hunger or thirst. We will no longer have to deal with in, you know, thoughts and everything. But we will be with Jesus. Paul sums it up greatly. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For those in Christ will gain more than we ever imagine, for we will personally be with the Lord. We will be free from sin, and we will have new bodies. We won't ache in the morning. There won't even be a morning. Yeah! <laughs> right? You know? All because of Jesus and his sacrifice upon the cross. Now please turn your bowels once more with me to Philippians. Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11, Paul writes this. Have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus, whom though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Christ Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
I love this because, well, how do we live in the shadow of the Almighty? How do we humbly do this? What's well, the amazing truth is that Jesus is our example and our Redeemer, right? By humble means, he came to destroy death. And he is the man who everyone has to deal with, either in this life or the next. So the question comes, right? Will we confess him now, willingly? Or will we understand that we have forsaken not only him, but life as well in the end? We as humanity bear the responsibility to accept or suppress the truth that we know. And in the end, we know that God knows who holds to him. The prophet Nahum says it like this, The Lord is good, a stronghold in the day of trouble. He knows those who take refuge in him. How amazing of a blessing it is to not only know God, but to be known by God through Christ Jesus. Now let's close in a word of prayer. And Father God, we thank you. We thank you for today. Thank you for the amazing blessing of salvation through Christ alone. That we really rest upon the finished work. Help us to abide in the shadow of the Almighty, to not be about all of our things and our wants and our needs and our, and our pride and, and lusts and sins and, and greed and everything, Lord. But like the author of Hebrews states, that we would cast all hindrance aside, all sin aside, and run the race that is clearly marked out for us that we would be your workmanship as we go in life adulting, as we go growing up, as we go doing taxes and working and walking and, and everything, Lord, that we would be about being your workmanship and aim to please you as we grow, being chiseled as we grow in our relationships, as we grow and just wanting to give you glory, God. Thank you for today. Thank you for the study in Psalm and the Psalms. Thank you for your amazing grace in Christ. We pray. Amen.